This is episode number 320 with Justin McLeod of the Founder Podcast. What you need is thirst. You need to be a thirsty human who is intent on learning. It's a really fascinating, fascinating exploration of human potential. Now. Now. now, the Founder Podcast. Even the greatest entrepreneurs had help. If you want to learn from the most successful founders on the planet, you are in the right place. Branson, Mark Cuban, Tony Robbins, Tim Ferriss, Ariana Huffington, Go, Steve Case, Gary V, Sophia Amoroso, Robert Corcoran, Damon John. Learn from the greatest minds in business today with interviews hosted by Nathan Chan. This is not your average entrepreneur podcast. The Founder Podcast. Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Before we start today's episode, I just want to let you know that our goal at Founder is to help entrepreneurs succeed however we can by giving away high quality content in the form of interviews, blog posts, podcasts, YouTube videos, you name it. We put out so much content to help you. And another interesting project that we're working on right now is partnering with world-class founders like Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills like negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free trainings with founders like this, which is 100% free, just go to founder.com forward slash free. Okay, so now let's talk about today's episode. What's going on, Founder Fam? Nathan Chan here, CEO and publisher of Founder Magazine, and also the host of the Founder Podcast. I hope you're all are doing okay wherever you are around the world. I know 2020 has been a crazy year for everyone. I hope you and your family are healthy and safe with everything that's going on. Uh, here in Melbourne, we're just about to go into hardcore lockdown. And uh, yeah, it's um, we're working through it and we're doing as much as we can to help you wherever you are in your business journey, whether you want to start a business, whether you want to grow a business, whether your business has been affected by this pandemic. Uh, you know, we're putting out so much content, audio, video written to help you however we can. 99.9% of it is free. So let's talk about today's guest, Justin McLeod, who is the founder and CEO of a company called Hinge. Uh, now, this is a relationships app, um, and you may have heard of it. it. It is one of the fastest growing dating apps across US, UK, Canada, Australia. And it's really interesting because when they first launched, it didn't do as well uh, as they thought and I know that that might be the case for some of you guys listening right now where you may have launched your company and it hasn't got the traction you're yet looking for and uh, Justin actually pivoted and we talk about how he pivoted we talk about how he met his partner uh, as well which is a crazy story and uh, yeah, this is a really, really cool interview. Justin was extremely giving, extremely generous with his time and his, his experience. And he's ended up selling this company as well. And we talk about his experiences there. Uh, so yeah, this was a great interview, guys. So I hope you enjoy this one. If you are enjoying these interviews and episodes, please do take the time to leave us a review. It helps us more than you can imagine. Uh, there's a lot of business podcasts out there, but very few 
go to the lengths and depths that we do to find these incredible founders that unfortunately, you know, aren't doing interviews that often. Uh, So we're very, very lucky that we've been able to build up this body of work that is just incredible. This is the best MBA you will ever get. And I don't say this because I drink my own Kool-Aid. Like I just honestly just know that if you listen to every single one of these episodes or even a few, you'll get so much value. So that's it from me, guys. Now let's jump into the show. Thanks so much for taking the time. And uh, yeah, the first question I ask everyone that comes on is, uh, how'd you get your job? Uh, well, uh, my current job at Hinge, uh, I created. So I, I started it when I was coming out of business school back in 2011. And it really didn't feel like a job at first. In fact, I had another job to work at a consulting firm, McKinsey, and, uh, and started working on this side project, which was a way for people to list their crushes on Facebook and find out if uh, two people liked each other. Mm. And um, I know you, you have an incredible story about how you uh, met your partner um, maybe you could share that. Like, that's crazy, man. Yeah, it was a really crazy story. I, you know, so yeah, so there's quite a lead in to me wanting to, uh, create an app for people to list their crushes. And that is that my, I, I had a girlfriend in college, Kate, who I met one of the first days of college and we dated all through school and at the very end, um, went our own ways. And, uh, and a few years later, like I always just thought I would end up with her eventually. And a few years later, I, when I'd um, gotten into business school and gotten my life together, I reached out to her to try to get her back. And she said no, because she was living in London at the time and was with another man. And I was just heartbroken uh, and was having trouble meeting new people because I used to be this big party kid in college. And when I graduated, the day I graduated, I just stopped drinking um, stop partying. And then I, you know, try to get my life together. And I, I reached out to her and she said no. And I was, and I, and at the time, because I wasn't drinking and partying, it was like, I, I just didn't know how to meet new people. I wasn't going to bars. I wasn't going to parties. And, and there was just not really a good option. There was sort of like these old fashioned dating websites, but there was nothing at the time that really resonated with me. So, uh, that's when I started working on this kind of crush finder model at at business school which very quickly evolved into hinge which was a, a really simple fun easy way to meet people using your phone and your existing social network and that was kind of the first version of hinge back in 2011 yeah i see interesting because like it seems like i i i um have have a fiance so i'm i'm recently engaged um but i have friends right that that are single and they're all trying hinge now. And, um, I've seen a lot of your ads, um, like, or like, like, cause friend, friends have shown me like they're really, really good marketing in the sense that, you know, you, 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 a lot of the message, the underlying message is, is an app that's meant to be deleted. Um, so I'm curious what has changed, uh, of, of, you know, in the past few years that have really helped you guys rise to prominence, do you think? So it's been a, yeah, it's been a pretty crazy ride. I, uh, you know, we had, we had a few years of success and then 
we we were starting to become popular in the U.S., especially on the East Coast. And then I, it was, we got to this point where I just felt like, you know, a lot of other dating apps had started and it just didn't feel like ultimately we were really living up to our mission of helping people find their person. And it just didn't feel like the app was designed for that. It was kind of just like fun and easy, but it just wasn't, I don't, I don't think it was really helping people create good, deep connections. And so I went to my board, I went to my employees and I said, we should really tear this thing down, restart from scratch and really build this dating app that's designed to be deleted. And we changed a lot at that time. We changed that a lot of the members of the team and we changed our whole approach to the market. Because before we'd been so obsessed with growth and engagement and how do we get more people on and uh, and actually, we cha- ironically, we changed our tack to just think about how do we get more people out on great dates? And we started measuring that. First of all, we're the only dating app that measures actually did our users go on dates? Did they enjoy those dates? And so we take that information and every feature that we release or everything that we do, we look at, does it create more great dates or fewer great dates? And we lost the focus on growth and retention and engagement. And um, it was a slower growth strategy, but people when they used Hinge, really, it was just successful for them. And they were going on great dates. Uh, In fact, three out of four times when someone goes on a date, they say it's a person that they want to go on a second date with. And as a result, it just started spreading by word of mouth. And we really started to grow quickly. uh, And, you know, as 2017, 2018, um, 2019, especially was a really big year for us. And it's just because of that word of mouth. I mean, even right now in 2019 or in 2019 and then in 2020, we had a presidential candidate, Pete Buttigieg, in the U.S. who met his husband on Hinge and was telling everyone. So that's kind of the scale that we've gotten to. It's just success stories are really out there. Yeah. Wow. That's fascinating. So um, so you started like in 2011. Um, when did you officially, you did you officially launch the first version in 2011? Yeah, it launched in 2012. Yeah, so I started working on 2011. It launched the first version of it launched in 2012, and it was in 2016 when we really did the reboot and started over from scratch. Yeah, so you 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 shut it all down in 2016, started all over from scratch, and then relaunched in 2017. So it took about a year to it to, to rebuild. Yeah, end of 2016. It was basically the very end of 2015 until the end of until like October of 2016. Yeah. Okay. So it took about a year to rebuild the whole product. Yeah, about nine months. Yeah, wow that that would have been tough. Um, like, how did you? Because a lot of people would have so much pride, so much ego. You have traction, like you said. You guys were getting big in the U.S. How did you come to that realization and that courage that you needed to to scrap it and start from scratch again, rework the team, just go back and 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 you know work with your customers or users and just just go really iterative. It was two forces, I think, that really did it. One was that while growth was great, we um, we were starting to get the the our sort of leading indicator metrics, like our net promoter score, which is a measure of like how favorably people view our product and our brand, was really starting to tank. Uh, there were some articles that came out, uh, one in particular about the dating apocalypse that featured us pretty heavily. And as I kind of stepped back, I just realized this really isn't the company I set out to build. And we were kind of just another app, you know, just like another me too product. Um, yeah, sort of at that, at that point, even though we were very early and in fact, first, 
um, at that at that point, there was there had been so many others that were you know really well funded and grown really fast, and it it just felt like if Hinge disappeared tomorrow, no one would really care. You know, it's just like well, it doesn't feel like we were offering something that was really that different into the market. So that was one piece of it. I just I didn't really set out to build that from an ethos perspective or to build something that was just another Me Too product. Then um, on top of that, what was really clearly emerging was that people uh, wanted something different. People, like there was this opportunity for, because these apps were originally designed for people who were like 18, 19, 20, 21, like college age kids. But now, you know, we're five years into the world of dating apps and people who started on these products were now aging to the point where they're in their mid 20s or late 20s and they're really looking for their person. And there just wasn't something that was well designed for finding your person. There was a lot of stuff that was designed for living your best single life and having lots of fun and meeting lots of people and seeing where it goes. But there wasn't something that was really helping you key in on the right person for you. And that's what we wanted to build. Mm, interesting. So um, you said that, uh, yeah, you just come to this realization that the product wasn't what you'd originally envisioned. Um, how did How did your investors, your board your team take when you said this news? It was, you know, I, I definitely got the buy-in of the board and there was, there was definitely discussion upon a lot of my investors, whether to kind of just like double down our existing product or take this big risk and, and restart it from scratch. But generally the board uh, was really supportive of, of the concept and uh, the team, the team was a really tough, conversation in a way because we you know i let go of about half the team uh and then immediately had to turn around and convince the rest of the people that that stayed there that we were going to do something really exciting and this wasn't this wasn't a scary time this was a really big great opportunity but at the time we were about 25 or 30 employees and there was just no way to start from scratch with 30 employees like that was just that's that's too many people focused around too small a problem and you've really got to you've got to when you start over from scratch like that having more than around 15 people in the room is just too much and uh so and we also had to to you know cut our burn rate to make sure that we didn't run out of money before we could find the solution and so that was definitely really hard and uh and i got some really great advice for some other entrepreneurs who had been through similar reboots and um, so I did it all in one day, let go of half the team in the morning and in the second half of the day, got the rest of the team in, got them pumped up. We went on a retreat after that to really envision what this new product would be. This was around Christmas of, of 2015. And then everyone went on break for a week. And then when everyone came back in January, we we just started building. Mm. And talk to me around kind of um, what do you think it takes like the second time around? What did you do differently to build a better – like a, a it sounds like a far superior product than the first version. It was, yeah, definitely. I mean, it's having a second, a second life as an entrepreneur is such a, a blessing. <laughs> I can't tell you because I really got to correct all the mistakes that I made the first time. Uh, one was just clarity of mission and vision and learning how to stick with that and not falling prey to focusing on the competition because i think that was a big mistake we made we'd sort of morphed into a product that looked very much like the competition because we were so threatened by it that every time that someone would release something like a new feature or an interface design we would say we would like you know be jealous and like okay well we have to release that too so that um we don't fall behind 
And what happened over time is we just morphed and looked like the other products and the other products were, were bigger and better funded and had more momentum than us. And so that was clearly a mistake. Um, and then, and so part of that was again, focusing on the customer and focusing on this clarity of mission and vision, which was to get people out on great dates, which did lead to a very different product. Um, other things I learned is just the critical importance um, of the people you surround yourself with as a leader when you're when you're growing a company like this. I know people always say people are the most important thing, but you, as you mature, I think in your entrepreneurial journey, you really realize like that's almost the only thing. You know, it's the market you're in and the people that you surround yourself with. And I think I had a immaturity as a first time entrepreneur that it was my vision and my clarity and sort of my genius that was going to get us there. And that clearly uh, the way that you really scale and grow and learn as, as an entrepreneur is, is get great people and point the direction and inspire and coach and motivate and challenge them, but ultimately get out of their way and let them do their thing. And that was, you know, absolutely critical to my success the second time around. And then there's just like a whole host of operational things when it, whether it came to brand or design or product that I'd made mistakes before, or even how to develop a tech stack um, and that didn't lead to technical debt and you know constant rewriting of the code and slowing you down. So there's just there's so many pieces that I got to learn the second time around. Hmm. Tell tell us about like what do you mean by like how to develop a tech stack? Uh sorry, what I mean by that is uh the the t one the technology choices that you make but more importantly the way that you structure your code base and the way that you um build it so that it is modular and flexible and scalable because if you if you've worked in tech then you, like there there's this constant sort of echo among uh engineers that you know, every time you release a new feature, it's like, oh, well, we have to go back and rewrite this thing. And there's this term of like technical debt, meaning essentially we were moving really fast before. And because we were moving so fast, we didn't structure this in a really good way. And so if we're going to make this change, it's going to be really messy. And it's going to, if we push on this part of the code, it's going to break that part of the code. So we're going to have to rewrite it. And that really slows you down. And when you have the discipline, and this is like a huge testament to our, our, our technical leader, Ben, um, but we really thought deeply about how to structure for this for the long term so that we could continually like move fast and uh, not face technical debt um, in the future so that you can continually release new features and, and uh, respond to customer needs and, and without getting dragged down into um, uh, having to rewrite your code base. Yeah, I see. That makes sense. So talk to me around kind of, um, cause you guys, uh, have now been acquired by Match, correct? Yes, that's right. So, um, when did they come into play, and uh, and uh, yeah, why did you bring them on? Match is a global uh, player who just has a ton of expertise in the space, and it was, you know, after after we'd relaunched the new version and we started to get some traction. Uh, we had the opportunity to have them invest in us. And so it started as a as an investment that then they kind of leveled up their investment over time and eventually bought the whole company. But it just became clear that they were really great operating partners. They had a great culture and uh, it just seemed like the right home for us eventually. 
and and they've really just helped us scale globally as you're now experiencing because uh, we, we, we were able to scale first in the US and then and now in the UK and Australia and Canada. And um, that's been, they've, they've really been big believers and big investors in us. Yeah, no, I see. That's amazing. And um, I'm curious, uh, now that you have sold the company that bought 100%, um, has your role changed as CEO? It really hasn't changed very much. They uh, the the way that that match operates is they have a they definitely have a portfolio of a few different dating apps, but each one operates independently. We still have our own office. Uh, I'm you know still retain title of CEO, and the really the day to day doesn't change very much. Hmm. Okay, interesting. Um, so what's next for you guys? Like, what's exciting for you right now with Hinge? Well, I really think that we're in the the beginning stages of what dating apps can offer people. I mean, it's great to be a tool that you can introduce people to each other. But when you really step back and think about it, this is one of the most important decisions that people make in their lives. It contributes more to their happiness or detracts from it uh, than almost any decision that you'll ever make. And yet so many of us make it uh, without really a an education on like how to choose your right partner. And um, just so many of us are just not born good at, at, well, obviously we're not born at like good at, at app dating or online dating, much less even real dating uh, in that so-called real dating in the real world or whatever. And it's, I think it's on, it's really right now we're, we're launching something called hinge labs, which is a team of researchers that are going to spend time really figuring out people who have succeeded on hinge and found great relationships. What were they doing differently than maybe people who are struggling to find someone? And uh, taking those learnings, whether they're sort of the attitudes they bring or the way that they were using the app, and then sharing those with the rest of the users. And so I think that there's a really, really big opportunity there to um, not just make Hinge the sort of platform where people can find each other, but really letting it be a, a guide and a coach through that process to really help you make the best decision. Yeah. I think that's, that's incredibly smart. Um, like I'm, I'm sure you're aware, like, and I, I, I don't know why I get the ads, but you do see like random ads or YouTube videos of like dating coaches and all sorts of like crazy stuff. Um, where there is a market for that, like on the relationship side of, of learning, because it can be so intimidating, right? Totally. And I think, you know, and those dating coaches can be great, but ultimately they're just kind of giving you their pet personal theory based on, I'm not exactly sure what it's based on. Um, whereas we will really have the data and experience of millions and millions of users uh, who have then moved on and found relationships that we can really bring to bear to help everyone. So it'll be really interesting to take those theories and really test them and see um, what really does work and what doesn't. Yeah, no, that's fascinating. Cause yeah, look as well, like when you think of like from a product development perspective, the more that you can spend more time, you know, because whatever, whatever product or service you have, you're making a promise, right? And it's your job to be able to, to, to deliver on that promise in any way, shape or form, whether it's making the user onboarding more simpler, whether it's, it's speeding up that result that that promise you, you've made, like you, you can, you can really, really like, you know, build a better product, get like, you know, deliver on your promise faster. 
um, and, and, and build a, a more sustainable business. So I think, um, I think that's really, really smart. So I'm curious as well, like when you talked about product development, at what level the second time round were you doing user testing and, and what did that look like? Because I, I just find it quite fascinating. So much. I mean, we really, again, spent a lot of time, a lot of time with, I mean, you, we had users just like flowing in, in our office, like on a daily basis in the evening to run focus groups, either digging, just trying to research it and get into people's heads about what they were struggling with in dating and what would make it better or developing prototypes and having people use them. Uh, so we were really in like a rapid prototyping testing phase where we were constantly in touch with our customers and figuring out what was going to work best for them. And that's where the, you know, that emerged for us, the importance of creating likable content on the profiles and the uh, developing the prompts. So not just the photos, but the short questions that are designed to lead to conversations, refining what those would look like over time. And, and just that core mechanic of getting people away from, um, the swipe feature of taking people left and right and just making kind of binary decisions on them and actually engaging with them by uh, liking and commenting on something on the profile. Just made people way more thoughtful, way more selective, really treating each other like real humans on the other side of the, um, on the other side of the screen. Yeah, I see. And like when you said you had like so many people coming through every day, like how many per day you reckon, like, like what kind of scale are we talking thousands over that nine month period or hundreds or. I would say probably in the hundreds, we would typically have, you know, evenings and people would come in in groups of like three to four groups of eight at a time. And we would, again, depending upon where we, what stage of product development we were in, open into research or or getting their thoughts on on the feature that we were developing uh yeah it really ranged the gamut you see and you said you there's a team of 30 and you halved it so there's about 15 people right during that relaunch phase that's right and uh was it mainly developers uh no it wasn't just developers it, it, at that point it was about probably about half um engineers but it was also product it was uh, user research and customer service. Um, it was marketing and branding. And we were re like during, during this whole relaunch, we were really digging into how we were going to reintroduce Hinge to the world as, you know, the, the dating app designed to be deleted. And we completely redid our, like, you know, the, the brand and the colors and the language that we would use everything to really pivot away from what we used to be known as like we had a very entrenched brand as the friends of friends dating app so we were the the one that you join and it would connect you to friends of friends and we really wanted to let go of that and focus as as the dating app that's designed to be deleted yeah wow it's crazy that you did that um um like Pretty, pretty amazing execution as well to rebuild the whole app from scratch, rebrand everything all in the space of nine months. Um, that's amazing. Yeah, it was a wild ride. I mean, I'll tell you, it wasn't, it wasn't linear, right? It wasn't like, oh, let's build this and it'll be successful. I really say sometimes I was like, I felt like Moses leading people around the desert. I think as late as June, we were still sitting there being like, oh man, like I'm not sure if we're going to figure this out. 
And, you know, because we're doing a lot of like moving in different directions. We're like, should we have an app where like you can't, you can't even like people, you just have to message. Should it be a group experience? Should it like, we were, we were really uh, zooming way out to think about how we could reimagine what this process was. And even at various times, we thought about pivoting away completely from the dating app model. So there was like, it was, it was, we were wide open in the beginning and it, and it was scary because it, at certain times it didn't feel like, you know, I believed that there was this market there, but uh, at some point I just it felt sometimes like they're just, we weren't going to figure out a meaningfully different product to introduce that would really solve the problem. It really took a while for us to break out of the thought process. Cause just like all the other dating apps started to look very, very similar. And for us to like break our mindset to, to look different was really something that took a, uh, it was it's scary. It took a lot of time to figure out. Mm. So I'm curious as well, like when you relaunched, did it launch with a bang and then it's just been a rocket ship since and then Match came in no, and acquired 51% or? Yeah, it was, um, it, it no, it launched with a whimper for sure. We, we launched, that was another really, really scary time because we launched initially and there were, you know, as you said, it took a lot of execution to get all those moving pieces right. And we kind of got, I'd say that we got the launch marketing right for sure. We got the brand, but the um, execution on some of the tweaks of how the, like of how the interface worked of the business model of um, even the algorithm we, we discovered later had like a pretty fundamental flaw in it where it was essentially random for the first couple months. And we uh so no it, it looked actually like the whole thing was going to collapse in for the first few months and but we you know i i have to hand it to my team we were just really incredible smart loyal uh people and we just sat in there and we just took we just took we just blocked and tackled in each problem we just fixed it fixed it fixed it and then the, you could see the metrics starting to turn starting to turn until they became really really interesting and even though our growth wasn't explosive yet, the, the you know match group I think had the uh, experience to identify that the metrics they were seeing, even in those early stages where we only had like a couple hundred thousand users, was was really starting to turn and become interesting. And that's when they came in as an investor. Got you. I see. So um, even though, like you know, you said you guys were quite popular when you launched in 2012. Uh, in the US, like what about that existing database? You would have thought that like when you relaunch, you just go to them and it would blow up, right? Or like good, yeah, good initial traction. So. Uh, but it was kind of, you know, we changed positioning and that list had become kind of stale and people don't really check their emails. And so I thought that too, but what happened over those nine months is we really, I made the decision is like, cause, because we debated like while while that existing product sits out there for nine months, are we going to continue to update it and, you know, maintain it? Or are we kind of just going to let it wither, right? Because we're, we're constantly, as a company, providing updates and, and staying on top of our game and, and improving the product constantly. And when you let a product sit stale for 10 months on the App Store, uh, it, you know, we, it really just started to tank towards the end and we really just lost a lot of our momentum. And it was hard to get people... Uh, to convince people to come back and try the new product, and so it it was it was not easy at first for sure. So did you you didn't you you did you leave it on the app store or you shut it down? 
We did leave it on the app store just totally, but we, we weren't maintaining it. We weren't doing, we just weren't really doing anything around it. And it just, you like the, the, the app just started to shrink over time and in terms of the user base. But it was generating revenue. No, actually up until that point, we had never, we had never tried to monetize the app. Oh, wow. So you were just yeah. pure off, just burn. Just burn. Yeah, just burning. We, you know, we just raised a bunch of money before. We'd, we'd raised like $16 million or something like that. And, um, and we'd only gone through maybe four to five of that when we decided to do the reboot. And we still had quite a lot of money in the bank. And I just said, listen, we have enough money. We have enough firepower here to, to give us the runway to refigure this out. And, and that's what we did. Yeah, got you. Okay, interesting. Um, right now, you guys, um, I assume, because, yeah, like I, I've I've been with my partner for, like, what, eight years now, so I, I've never used any of these apps. Um, but I'm curious, like, when it comes to kind of the, the business model now, how do you know when it's kind of a user play? Um, like, if you monetize too early, it actually hurts growth. How, like, how, I assume you've turned on those mechanics now, but how do you know when to? Uh, you know, it, it's definitely different by business, but at Hinge, we don't, I don't think we offer anything that um, really hindered growth. In fact, it's almost helpful for growth because all the features that we've, uh, released that are paid are additive to the experience and yet they're not things that we could give to everyone because they would actually hurt the experience if everyone had them and um so it really hasn't it hasn't been a trade-off in the sense that it hurts growth only in the sense that it takes our it takes resources to devote time to spending time thinking about money versus thinking about you know, just continuing to improve the core product experience. Gotcha. I see. Um, so we have to work towards wrapping up and I'm mindful of your time. Um, so when it comes to kind of, I guess, uh, you know, hinge and traction you've got thus far, would you be able to share kind of like how far you've taken it since the relaunch? We've taken it. Uh, it's definitely way 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 bigger than it was before we decided to do the reboot at this at this time we grew about 4x last year um in uh, i think specifically in the uk and australia we're now setting up a date about every three seconds globally and uh so that's the kind of um scale that we've gotten to at this point yeah wow um would you be able to share how many users or not allowed uh, I, I, because of match group, I, uh, yeah, that's, uh, unfortunately I can't share. That's fair. That's, t- that's totally fine. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. They don't, they just, it's a, it's a SEC thing and they don't report those numbers publicly. So it's not public information. Yeah, no, that's cool. All good. Well, look, um, look, thank you so much for your time, Justin. Just, uh, two last questions. Uh, one, sure. um, our audience is, is is mainly early stage startup founders, uh, either just about to launch something, or have recently launched something, or have recently hit product market fit. Um, what what is kind of any parting words of wisdom that you'd like to share? And then, uh, lastly, uh, where's the best place people can find out more about yourself and your work? On the first, I uh, 
you know, entrepreneurship is such a tough game for, you know, I've, I've been through so many ups and so many downs and it's really the, the art of figuring out and writing that line of figuring out when you're crazy and when everyone else is crazy, right? Because you kind of have to have this contrarian belief as an entrepreneur to build something big that you've got to see an opportunity that other people don't. And so many people get um, wrapped up in their original vision of whatever it is, and they hold on so tightly to it, and they don't adapt over time. And those that's like when you're crazy. Um, but then other people will will adapt too quickly and try to just like um, they give up, I think, too early and too easily because the, maybe the market's not giving them the right feedback. And so the the real art of it for me for entrepreneurship is, especially early stage, is how to stick to your vision and your direction and your strategy while being very flexible on your tactics and never, you know, always answering questions and never getting um, never having those like sacred, like too many like sacred cows and like the way that you think things are, because so many times I was convinced that like this, I made this one assumption that I just knew had to be true and it turned out wasn't true. And so you've always got to be questioning yourself, but also still heading that direction. And, and entrepreneurship is really that, that balance. And then I think part of that is just a, how important it is as an entrepreneur to develop a, a personal strategy to stay sane, because it really is so many ups and downs. And, you know, I use journaling like every morning. I really have to, no matter what, journal at least a half a page, do a few uh, sun salutations in yoga and sit for at least five minutes of meditation. Usually I try to do more in each of those categories. But at the very least, I do those three things every day because it just resets my brain and reminds me that like um, regrounds in my body and like just de-stresses and gives me perspective. And that's so important when you're an entrepreneur. Uh, in terms of following me, I don't actually maintain a social media presence because I don't really use social media. I think that that's like, um, it's just too uh, like addictive a technology, frankly. And it's not designed to be deleted. As I think we know, it's designed to keep you there as long as humanly possible. So um, the best way to, uh, I, the only thing I can say is is download Hinge. Um and you can follow Hinge at, you know, through our website as well at Hinge.co. And you can also follow us on Instagram uh, at Hinge. Awesome. Well, look, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. And uh, congratulations on all your success thus far. Thank you very much. It was great to talk. Hey, guys, I hope you enjoyed this interview. As you might already know, our mission at Founder is to help tens of millions of people every single week with our content either start or grow their business, which is exactly why we're partnering with world-class founders such as Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills such as negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free exclusive trainings, please go to founder.com forward slash free. These are 100%. We go super in-depth on teaching a particular topic, and I know that you're going to love them if you enjoy this podcast. So just go to founder.com forward slash free. All right, guys, I'll see you in the next episode.